0: This morning we come to one of the most important narratives in the New Testament, outside of the gospel itself. It's so important, in fact, that it's actually recorded three times in the same book of the Bible. It's the conversion of Saul of Tarsus into the Apostle Paul. So let's get right to it this morning. We're in Acts chapter 9 beginning with the first couple of verses. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul, who is this Saul? We first met him. Back in the 7th chapter, when the witnesses against Stephen laid their robes at his feet, in chapter 8, Luke mentioned that Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death, and that he began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women, putting them in prison here we find Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, and that he was not content to have driven the Christians from Jerusalem. He went to the high priest and asked for letters authorizing him to go into the synagogues of Damascus looking for Jews who belonged to the way, to arrest them and to bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now Damascus was a foreign city, some 140 miles from Jerusalem. But it had a very large Jewish population, estimated at over 40,000. So there were probably 35 to 40 synagogues in Damascus. And Saul was afraid they were being infected with what? He felt to be a perversion of the faith. Something known as the way. Jesus was known as the way. And some Jews were following this way, believing Jesus to be the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man could come to God the Father except through him. Now, that was heresy for a good Jew like Saul, a Jew of distinction, a man who was educated. He referred to himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews. He'd been trained in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee like his father before him. There's even evidence that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. So Saul was a very religious man. He wasn't against God. In fact, he was a man who was very zealous for God. He loved God with his heart and his soul, but he was furiously enraged by Jews who loved Jesus. He arrested them. He tried to force them to renounce their faith and revert back to Judaism, and if they wouldn't, he would vote for their execution. And he did all this with a perfectly good conscience before God. He thought he was serving God. He was pleasing God. Now, many commentators suggest that he was plagued with a guilty conscience following the death of Stephen, and you remember the way Stephen died. It it was a, a, a surreal event. Commentators think that perhaps that affected Saul, and he was fighting against his conscience, attacking these people. That he had to justify killing in his own mind, but there's really no indication of that in, in the writings himself. I'm convinced that Saul was absolutely certain he was doing God's work. He was sincere in his belief, but like so many who are sincere, he was sincerely wrong. Before God could convince him of that fact, however, he had to get his attention. Acts 9, 3-9. through 9. And it came about that as he journeyed, he was approaching Damascus. And suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city and... It shall be told you what you must do. And the men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, this reminds me of the story of two mule skinners. A story I learned uh, uh, long before, Chris, you came to church here, so don't be offended. Supposedly there was a greenhorn begging and pleading with a mule, doing everything he could to make it obey, but the mule wasn't responding until an old mule skinner, who was not a horse whisperer, walked by picked up a two-by-four, knocked the mule to his knees, and said, you've got to get his attention before he'll listen to you. Now, just a story. I trust you don't use two-by-fours. No. Okay. But Saul needed one. Saul needed one. The Lord had to get his attention, and so he did on the road to Damascus. Now he was a quarter mile from the city gate, according to tradition, when a light from heaven flashed around him, a light brighter than the sun, according to Paul's retelling the story to Agrippa in chapter 26. And he fell to the ground. Now there are all kinds of attempts to explain this on a naturalistic level. You know, sunstroke, lightning, a fall from his horse, assuming he was on a horse, and even epilepsy. Now i do like Charles Spurgeon's response to that suggestion. He said, oh blessed epilepsy, would that every man in London had epilepsy like that. (laughs) Well I don't think it was epilepsy, I think I'm going to stick with a bright light, and I'm going to leave room for the Shekinah presence of God. Whatever it was, it knocked Saul to his knees. And he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He responded, Who are you, Lord? And the answer was, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. You see, by persecuting his people, Saul was persecuting Jesus, he was persecuting the body. Of Christ. And we must never forget that whatever we do to the least of the brethren, we do to Christ. Saul was persecuting Jesus, and Jesus made that very clear to him. Now, when we combine all three accounts, we discover the men with Saul could see the light, but could see no one in it. Indicating that Saul may very well have seen more than just light. He actually saw someone in the light. And the men heard the voice, but they didn't understand what was being said. But Saul did. He was told, rise, enter the city, and it should be told what you must do. Now I find it very significant that Jesus did not... Tell Saul what he wanted him to do. He simply got his attention, pointed him in the right direction, and told him where he could find answers that he needed. So Saul got up. When he discovered he couldn't see, he had someone leading him by the hand into Damascus. What a picture! The terror of the church was now being led by the hand to the church. Even though he didn't know it, that's where he was going. He spent three days blind and fasting, waiting for God to tell him what he needed to know. But during the same time, God was preparing a believer to come and tell him what he needed to know. Again, I find this very, very significant. Jesus did not personally tell Saul what he needed to know. I don't think he wanted Saul to believe that he was independent of other believers. You know, we find later that Paul was proud of the fact that he had a direct line to Jesus and he didn't hear the gospel from the apostles But I do not believe that Jesus wanted him to feel he was all by himself. He wanted the great apostle to acknowledge his dependence upon the church. He wanted Saul to be connected to his body on earth. I'm convinced that the Lord most often works through the church to teach others what they must do. You know, God wrote the scriptures through the church. He teaches through the church. I realize it's popular to be uh, anti-institutional when it comes to the church. I mean, for years now we've heard, you know, just me and Jesus. You know, I, I don't want the church. It's filled with hypocrites. It gets involved in political stuff. I don't need that. All I need is Jesus. I don't think that's the case. The church is the body of Christ. And I think Jesus made it very clear that he wants people to turn to his body on earth, the church, to find answers to their questions. And sometimes he has to knock people to their knees to get them in church. That's what he did here. He got Paul's attention, or Saul's attention. And now he's ready to Listen. So God sent a believer who could tell him what he needed to do to find forgiveness and to let Saul know that he was a man chosen of God. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias? And he said, Behold, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come to him and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man. How much harm he did to thy saints at Jerusalem and Here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon thy name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now obviously, the great, persecutor of the church would not have been welcomed if he had just walked in the front door of the church. I mean, we're supposed to welcome everyone, but if someone with his reputation walked in, would probably hide or hit the pews or something. So he, he couldn't just waltz into the church. Jesus couldn't just say, go look for the believers and they'll tell you what you need to do. It was necessary for God to prepare someone within the church to go to him and then bring him to the church and to introduce him to the Lord's will for his life. And so God picked someone, someone to receive, a man named Ananias, an interesting name. We've heard it before, a high priest named Ananias. The name means God is gracious, and in the dream he heard, God is gracious, is going to come and talk to you. Cool. Luke tells us that Ananias was well thought of by the Jews. Apparently he had not offended too many of the Jewish brethren, as well as being a disciple of Jesus, but we know nothing else of him other than the Lord appeared to him in a vision. No doubt unexpectedly. And he responded properly. If it happens, just say, hey, behold, here I am. <laughs> what do you want? He was told to arise and go to the street called straight, the main thoroughfare through town, and to inquire at the house of a Judas. Now, isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting how God chose an Ananias and a Judas? You know, redeeming those names from infamy. I think that is a cool touch. God is amazing. The details. The details. Well, he was told to go in to the city and ask for a a man from Tarsus named Saul. A man who was praying, who had seen in a vision a man named God is gracious, coming to lay hands on him so he could regain his sight. And that's what Ananias was to do. He was to lay his hands on Saul now don't you love his reaction this cracks me up God has just spoken Ananias heard the voice he said here am I and so God says this is what I want for you to do and what does Ananias say he says whoa wait a minute Lord wait a minute you got this straight you know I've heard things everybody's talking about this guy you know, we know what he did in Jerusalem. We know why he's here. Mm-mm-mm. Lord, I think you're That just I think that's hilarious. I think it's humorous as well. Ananias filled in the Lord on Saul's reputation. <laughs> you know, he was a lot like us. You know, when the Spirit moves us to do something for someone we don't like come up with all kinds of reasons why we shouldn't do it or why we shouldn't go to them. I've heard about this man. Everybody's talking about him. He came up with all the excuses. And Jesus simply said, go. Go. Do what I've told you to do. Go and do what I've told you to do. And And tell Saul that he's a chosen instrument of mine. That he will bear my name before Gentiles and kings and even the sons of Israel. Amazing. God had chosen Saul for a special work. The details would come through Ananias. Now... Does that mean Saul had no say in the matter? You know, God knocked him to his knees and he says, now this is your job, go do it, period. I don't think so. I don't think Saul was just a pawn on God's celestial chessboard and God said, this is what you're going to do. I don't think God works like that. I don't think it works like that. He said he would show Saul how much He would have to suffer for his name's sake. I don't think that means Jesus was going to teach him a lesson. You know, he caused suffering to my people, now I'm going to cause suffering to come on you. I don't think that's what's being said here. I don't think so. I think he's being honest with Saul, making it clear that to serve Jesus would entail much suffering. I'm going to let him see what it's going to cost him to serve me so he can make an informed decision. Saul was being given a choice. Now he had demonstrated real zeal for God and had been willing to do whatever he felt God wanted him to do. Would he now do what he was being asked to do? Even if it would mean greater sacrifice than he had ever known before. The choice was his to make. God forces no one to do his will. He chose Saul, he got his attention. He told him through Ananias what he wanted him to do, now it was up to Saul. Would he change or not? And it would be a radical change. He had been born a Jew and was proud of it. Would he now be willing to be born again? And Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, I love that. Brother Saul. Is that, that just really got me. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, And he regained his sight, and he arose and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Ananias did as instructed after objecting. He went to the house. He entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and told him he had been sent so he could regain his sight and filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see, better than ever before, spiritually now, as well as physically. And then, in order for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit, after no doubt instructing him, Ananias baptized him. Then and only then did Saul take food and be strengthened. He couldn't even eat until he had been made right with God and had the answers that he needed. Now his sins, sins committed in good conscience, but sins nonetheless had been forgiven. He had entered into a new relationship with his heavenly father and he had accepted God's call on his life. Now he could eat. Now he could rejoice. He had been born again. A great narrative. But what does it have to do with us? Everything. You know, there are a lot of people today who have a good conscience before God, they think they're okay, and they are sincere in their beliefs, but they're fighting against God and his church, and they don't know it. They don't know it. Even when God sends the light, they don't see. When he speaks, they can't hear. What they need is to be knocked to their knees. Is that what you need? Is that what you need? If it is, what will it take to knock you to your knees? Don't know what it might be. You know, there are a lot of bad things that happen to good people. A lot of things happen we don't understand. Tragedy strikes. Family situations cause great pain. Tornadoes come through. Nature seems to be in rebellion against nature. You know, God can be swinging a two-by-four. He loves you enough to get your attention. And if If he's getting your attention, do what he says. Don't come up with all the excuses why you shouldn't. Don't say, well, but, gee, I've heard that, but, you know. I'm a good person. I do good. I have a good conscience. My grandma, bless her heart, I'll never forget her. She passed away when I was 12. And she said, now Ricky, she said, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Of course, she's also the grandma that told me that uh, uh, she had actually been a mermaid and, and grandpa had caught her somewhere, I don't know. So, so take it for what it's worth. <laughs> but it's not true. You know, you can sincerely believe something and be sincerely wrong. You can love God with all your heart and be going in the wrong direction, fighting against Him and against His church and against His Son and ignoring the Spirit. What does it take to get our attention? What does it take? You know, if He's gotten your attention... If something's been happening in your life, then you go, wow, God, what am I supposed to do? How do I get right? How do I, how do I back up? How do I start again? How do I, how do I act now upon what I know? I think the place to start is where Saul started. and In Acts 22, 16, I love these words, Ananias said to him, and now... Why do you delay? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. What are you waiting for? That's the question Ananias asked. That's the question I ask this morning. I know there are some here who love the Lord who have a good conscience before him, but who have never done what Ananias told Saul to do. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. In doing so, you're calling upon the Lord. Now last week, early in the week, I didn't know we would have a baptism and so I made sure the baptism was ready just in case because I didn't want to preach about the Ethiopian eunuch without a full tank. Well, today, it's full again. And at this point, I have no one scheduled. But everything is ready. Everything is ready. If God has gotten your attention, maybe it's time to quit making excuses. Maybe it's time to simply arise be baptized, and wash away your sins. Maybe he's calling you. (laughs) Maybe it's time to respond. Let's stand and sing.